Lord teaches us to pray without ceasing. Y'all believe that? We should have an attitude of prayer. And sometimes it's so easy for us just to come in and be routine, right? Be routine in our time with the Lord. And I don't want us ever to be just routine that it's the same thing every Sunday. I don't, it doesn't need to be that way. We need to recognize Jesus who he is. And so I'm very thrilled to have each and every one of you here this morning. It's my prayer that you hear a word from the Lord this morning and that it touches your hearts. Uh, so if you have everybody got their little note sheets and stuff, uh, just make sure you have them. We've been going for several weeks now. Actually, since Easter, we've been in the book of Acts. And so we have finally made it to chapter 14. Yay, 14. How about that, right? So, so here we are. So I want you to open up to Acts chapter 14. Put on your seat belts. We're fixing to go. And listen, and sometimes you'll hear me say this. You know, I want you to really draw a circle around yourself. I want you to get alone as you hear the Word of God. I want God to speak directly to your heart. Because we all need God to speak to our hearts, don't, do we not? We need that this morning. And I want God to speak to my heart. And in turn, I want God to speak to your heart. And listen, we do. But here's the thing. Just don't listen to him speaking, but listen, you need to respond to what he says to you. How will you respond? Let that be a prayer for you. Okay, Lord, what are you saying to me this morning, and how can I respond to what you're teaching me through your word? Amen? So let's do that this morning. So as you know, we left off. Paul, Barnabas, were in Antioch, Pisidia, not the Antioch where the home church was. That was back on the mainland. Well, this is actually on the mainland too, but there's several probably thousands of miles away from the original Antioch, but Antioch, Pisidia, uh, is not far from uh, G- G- Galatia. And actually, we're going to have them going to Galatia this morning. You get to see Paul and Barnabas. Uh, we left off last week where Paul and Barnabas speak in the synagogue. Many Jews and many Gentiles come to faith, right? And then they go to leave, and they're about to leave, and then the Gentiles uh, follow them after the service. And call them back in and say, don't leave, don't leave, come back next Sunday. We want you to preach it again, right? And I didn't get any phone calls telling me to preach it again. <laughs> there you go. But anyway, we're going to preach a new, a new message today. But anyway, but uh, I thought that was really interesting that these people were so hungry and thirsty for Jesus and for the word and for this new message, they wanted to hear it again. And so it said that the very next time when they came together, it says the whole town, the whole town came out to hear him. Now, Lord, if the whole town came out from Beverly Hills to come to this service at 1030 on Sunday morning, that would be something. We'd have a dilemma, wouldn't we? We would have a big dilemma, right? But that's all right. God would always work it out. God, When God's in it, God always works it out, right? He certainly does, and he works out things in your life and in my life. And so here they go, and they come back, and the whole town comes back. But listen. Some of the Jews got jealous. They got jealous because the whole town came out to hear these two fellows. And so they preached, and then, listen, and, this, and they ran them out of town. The Jews brought persecution towards Paul and Barnabas, and so they had to leave. And so they left. And then this is where we pick up in Acts chapter 14. So everybody got your seatbelts on? You got your pen, pencil, lipstick, and mascara? Write down your notes, right? So make sure you do that this morning. Here we go. We're going to pick up in Acts 14, starting in verse 1. The same thing happened in Iconium. They entered the Jewish synagogue, and you're going to see a pattern here, by the way, and spoke in such a way, listen, that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. 
And here we go. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against the brothers. So they stayed there for some time and spoke boldly in reliance on the Lord, who testified to the message of grace by granting that signs and wonders be performed through them. But the people of the city were divided, some siding with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to assault and stone them, look what happened. They found out about it and fled from Lyconian towns called, uh, to the Lyconian towns called Lystra and Derby, and to the surrounding countryside. And there they kept evangelizing. See here, the same thing happened here that happened in Antioch, Pisidia. Paul and Barnabas would go into a synagogue. They would preach the good news, the gospel, and many would get saved, but many of the Jews, listen, did not like it at all, and they would begin to persecute Paul and Barnabas. And as we read, listen, on an overriding question I have for each and every one of us in the room, I have this main question, this main theme of this sermon this morning. I want to ask you this question. Do you have the right view of God? Do you have, this is an important question, and and I pray that there's some things that maybe you haven't thought of this morning as we go through this, that by the time we leave here today, that you have the right view of a holy God. And I want you to have that today. You know, uh, sometimes we have organizations like AA. Uh, I heard Sheila, she was talking about how they always recognize a higher power, right? They always recognize a higher Some of these organizations have higher powers, I guess because they want to offend some people, because there's only one higher power, right? And it's who is it? Is God, is Jesus, right? He is the higher power uh, that we go to. There's none that, that sit beside him. There's none around him. There's only one higher power, and it's Jesus. And Jesus made that perfectly and abundantly clear uh, through his word. A lot of times, uh, I don't know if you watch Oprah Winfrey, uh, sometimes in the past I've seen where she has, has a generalization of spiritual power, but can never seem to nail down who or where that spiritual power comes from. She can never, she thinks that all roads lead to God, all religions lead to God. And she can't seem to figure it out. She just cannot seem to figure it out. The Bible is about revealing his true nature to us. Famous C.S. Lewis, uh, you've probably seen some of the movies that were written after his books. Uh, C.S. Lewis said the most dangerous prayer a Christian can pray is not to pray to who we think God is but to pray to who he knows himself to be. When we pray to that God, like we did this morning, listen, we unleash the power of heaven and we expel the power of hell. That's what we want to do this morning. This is what we're about. We need to invoke the real power of God in all of our lives. Let's read on in verse 8. They have left Iconium for Lystra. It's about 100 miles away. And so it says in verse 8 in Lystra, a man without strength mm, in his feet, lame from birth, and who had never walked, listen, sat and heard Paul speaking. After observing him closely and seeing that he had faith to be healed, Paul said in a loud voice, stand upright to your feet. And he jumped up and he started to walk around. For whatever reason, the preaching of the gospel, listen, it either brings out the very best of humanity or it brings out the worst. Would you agree to that this morning? 
It does. For many of us, it invites us, and for many of us, it divides us. And most important, from people that we love dear, that are near and dear to us. The best news sometimes and the worst news depend on how you receive it. You will find that many people, especially your own families, will turn off. This is or can be very, very hard. I don't know, I've experienced that before in my past. When I come to knowledge and faith in Jesus Christ, some of my family members didn't want to spend a whole, a whole lot of time talking to me. I was like, what? What is up with that? You know, When I was in the service and I became a Christian, uh, I found that the friends who I thought were my friends, when they found out that I got Jesus, and uh, they stopped talking to me. They stopped uh, hanging out with me. And, uh, and, and, uh, uh, and there were different times where I remember sitting on a tarmac on a flight line somewhere in a circle, and I'd be sitting there, and they'd start telling some filthy stories, you know, and, and I'd get up and I'd leave the circle, and I'd go walk to myself. And I remember one brother, one guy came to me and said, Hey, Phil, man, I saw you leave, man. What'd you leave for? I said, well, I couldn't sit there and listen to that. I couldn't subject my Jesus to what I was hearing. I just, the Holy Spirit told me that I needed to go. And so I did. And so I was able to witness to him on not just one occasion, but many occasions, because we had spent a lot of time together on various exercises and things like that. But sometimes the gospel is, it brings out the very best of people. And sometimes it brings the worst in people. And we, and, we, and we all are faced with that in some form or fashion. If we're true believers, you're going to face that. This guy that was lame, he was crippled from birth. Paul preaching in these crowds had never, ever heard the Old Testament. They'd gone into a territory of Lystra and Derby where they were not familiar with the Old Testament. And we'll see that as we go along in this scripture here. They were not familiar with the Jewish faith. They were not familiar, and obviously, certainly, uh, they had not heard any of these New Testament stories of the gospel and what Paul and them were, were presenting. And so this was all new to them. So Paul sees this lame man, just picture it, in a marketplace. He's, in a, he's not in a synagogue, he's in a marketplace. And he's, he's preaching, he sees this lame man sitting there, and I think the Spirit of the Lord quickened Paul to see that what he had to say was affecting this lame man. And so, and so, so Paul sees that, Obeys the Spirit of God, right? And then he walks up to me and tells the man to what? Stand up to your feet. And the guy, what? He stands up to his feet, pretty direct, and he does it. Look at verse 11. Look what happened. Look at the result. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, whatever that was, the gods have come down to us in the form of men. So they started worshiping Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas are Greek gods now coming down to us. This is what they're proclaiming. And they started to call Barnabas Zeus. And they started to call Paul Hermes, who was the messenger of the gods. Because he was the main speaker. Some people claim, when I think about these people, and I see what they're doing, I think sometimes some of us, some people claim to have faith in Jesus, but in reality, they do not have Jesus. And that's why, that's why I want us to look at the image. What is your image of God? Who is, who is God to you this morning? Who is Jesus to you this morning? Look at verse 13. It says, Then the priest of Zeus 
whose temple was just outside the town, brought oxen and garlands to the gates. He with the crowds intended to offer sacrifice for Paul and Barnabas. This is how these people worshipped. And I suspect this is the only thing that they knew. It's what they've always done. That's one thing for sure. When you meet lost people, be careful how you respond to lost people. Be careful how you treat people. Listen, I said it time and time again. Lost people do what lost people do. We can't help that. We can't talk down to them. We can't demean them. They need what? They need Jesus. And you've got to bring Jesus with the love that God gave you. You know? My brother and I were talking about this, about our finger pointing. That we always point the finger, and how many is pointing back of us? You've heard that three, right? Three point back at us. And when we, I look at people, the Bible, you know, people say, love the sinner, but what? Hate the sin. But see, I want to tell you something that's a little bit different, and I want you to remember this. I want you to love the sinner and hate your own sin. Can you do that? Love the sinner and hate your own sin. It needs to bring it back, to, back home to your heart that you need to humble yourself before the presence of God. And let God, let God use you as the vessel, the tool, to reach into a sinner's heart and bring the message that will deliver them from eternal separation and hellfire and will bring them in one with Jesus. You have the message. We have the cure. And his name is Jesus. It is G, always Jesus. So this is how these people worship. It's the only thing they knew. They worship false gods in their ignorance. They didn't know anything different. Look at verse 14. The apostles Barnabas and Paul, listen, they were so upset by these guys worshiping them. I can't imagine. They're tearing their clothes in disgust and they're upset. No, no, no. And it says, they tore their robes when they heard this and rushed into the crowd shouting, men, men, why are you doing these things? Why are you doing these things? Don't stop it. We are men also. With the same nature as you. Fallen nature, that is. Same fallen nature as you. And we are proclaiming good news to you, the gospel, that you should turn from these worthless things to a living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. Paul and Barnabas realized what was going on. They ran into the middle of them, tearing their clothes. They were disturbed. They were disgusted. They did not... They didn't want it. They know Paul and Barnabas knew from which they were saved and where the glory was supposed to be, and it wasn't in them. And sometimes we need to listen about, we need to think about that. Because they were mere men, just like them. And this is a good lesson for the Hills campus, right? As a pastor, as your pastor, listen, I'm a pastor. You have a pastor that's just like you. And I want you to think about that. I make mistakes. I sin, I mess up from time to time, we all do. I'm no different than each and every one of you guys. So don't put me on this pedestal up here, ever. Don't ever do that. Our focus must always be on who? <laughs> on Jesus. All the time. Not on the pastor, not on the church, not on each other. God is to be worshipped, for he made and created what? Everything. No person is meant to be worshipped, ever. Save Jesus. Amen? That's right. We worship, a lot of times in our culture, all these celebrities. You see it all the time. All these sports athletes, some of these singers, these movie uh, actors and actresses. A lot of times we worship. We try to be like them. We try to dress like them. We try to look like them. Paul says we are just, we are men just like you are. 
That's what he's saying here. We must turn from ourselves and our idols to the living God every time. I have another example would be like your cell phone. Everybody has a cell phone, right? You know, we have these cell phones. And man, the, we are overwhelmed by cell phones. Are we not? We have them. And sometimes, you know, I go into restaurants now and see everybody on their cell phone. And I used to think the teenagers were bad, but the adults are just as bad anymore too, right? But we have cell phones. But listen to this. Listen about our cell phones. They become idols to us. And we don't even realize it. Texting accidents. Listen, in the nation, one in four people, in, one in four car accidents result in drivers being distracted by cell phones across our nation. And that's amazing. And you guys see it everywhere you go. I mean, I've been down 95, and people are doing 80, and they got their phones right in front of them. And there they are. They're doing something, you know. And, uh, I mean, I'm sure some people get quite good at it. <laughs> But it don't take how long to get an accident? Just a split second. So, so they become like idols to this. We blame many times God for our misery. And it's our own fault in life sometimes. Sometimes we find ourselves miserable. Why? It's our own fault. Because, because, listen, we put things in the way before God. Sometimes, listen, we, many of us live miserably because of a job that you hate. To buy things that we don't need. Right? To impress people that you don't even like. <laughs> you ever thought about that? It's so true, man. It's so true all the time. We live for things in our life rather than living for him. And that's my dream. That's my hope and prayer through this message today. You would think about living for him. And set these things aside. I'll give an example. Like I was telling Brother Joy back here. I was going to talk. He looked at me. He said, man, you're the man in black today. I said, Yep. I didn't really think about it, but I'm talking about Johnny Cash this morning a little bit. Everybody know who Johnny Cash is, right? He's dead and gone now, right? Hopefully he's up there with Jesus in heaven and just having a glorious time, him and June Carter and all of them, right? Hopefully so. But he, he wrote a song. Listen, think about this. He was a celebrity for like over six decades. Think about that. Six decades. Man, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, till his death. He was singing up to till his in fact, the last song he sang became like a number one song, like nationwide. But his last song was a very disturbing song. His last song, listen, it was entitled, the last song he recorded before he passed away, and you can YouTube it later, it's, a, it's about his, his kingdom of dirt. Kingdom of dirt. And I think when I, I listened to the song and I was like, mm, it kind of reminded me of Solomon. Ecclesiastes said, life was all what? Vanity. Chasing after what? The wind. It can be if your focus is on the wrong things. And we want it to be on the right things. We must turn from the idols of this earth. Anything can be an idol. We must be careful. Anything and everything can be an idol. And we must be very, very careful. Let's look at verse 16. In the past generations, he allowed all the nations to go their own way. Although he did not leave himself without a witness, since he did what is good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and satisfying your hearts with food and happiness. See, you can't look at the sun, moon, and stars and not recognize that there is a God. 
These people who knew nothing about Judaism, they knew nothing about the scriptures, they knew nothing about the first five books of the Bible, they knew nothing about this. So Paul and them realized they had to start back from scratch. They didn't know nothing about Adam and Eve. But see, but God says in Romans 1, he says, we are without excuse. Yeah, the creation screams of a creator. As we look around and we see the beautiful flowers and the trees that reach up and praise and worship its creator. We're the same way, and we think about that, and we need to think about that. Look at verse 18. Even though they said these things, listen what happened. They barely stopped the crowds from sacrificing to them. This is how hard it is to get your attention off of idols. I want you to think about that. They barely stopped the crowd from sacrificing to them. We come to church, but some of you are drawn away by your own lust and desire for fun sometimes, for partying, for going out for a good time, doing what you should not for fun, and it becomes an idol. You cannot live in both his world and this world and think you're right with him. You cannot do it. We try to make much of God because people in our community need to have a lifeline thrown to them. That rope, I was going to have my rope this morning then, and at times, listen, there's no one sometimes here to throw that lifeline to them. The lifeline is Jesus. And he's commissioned us to do that very thing. As a pastor, sometimes I can certainly feel this way at times. Sometimes what we've, we've done in the past where we go to Canvas and Neighborhood, and listen, I have four, four people show up. Yet I'll have 100, 110, 120 in church, you know. And I understand sometimes you can't. I know, I get that. But there's a lifeline. There's, there's people out there that if they died today, if Jesus came back today, there's a lot of people that would be left behind. And listen, God has given us a, a mission, a commission to go and to share. And, and we do a real good job of that as well. There's times when people come in, like the fall festival, and we had 328 people come in. But here's the thing. We had a lot of registrations filled out. But I've got to have some people that are going to sit down and, and contact these families just for nothing else, just to love on them and say, thanks for coming. We hope you enjoyed it. And invite them to church. Invite them to come or invite them to Jesus, more importantly. So we need to think about that. We have Easter fun day. Do we contact people following that? We have registration for VBS contacts. We've got all these kids on a list from Vacation Bible. We had 38 children in here for a week of VBS. That was awesome. Had 58 volunteers. That's awesome. That's the way it should look in every area of what we're trying to do. We join forces, man. We come together. The fire burns brighter when you've got many logs on the fire. Amen? Especially a morning like this. You could put one log on the fire. Might, well, you're in Florida, so it'd probably be all right. But if you're in North Carolina somewhere up in the mountains, and if you've got five foot of snow and you're stuck in the house, you're going to put one log on the fire? No way. You're going you're gonna to burn that baby. You're going like, to load her up, right? You're going to cram it in there. My mother-in-law, God bless her soul. She'd come and visit us one time in the middle of winter. And I've got a picture of her. I, I saw it recently. She's sitting in my chair <laughs> next to my black bark stove in North Carolina. And I had a stack of wood like this high, split stack, right up next to the fireplace because I know she had, she had to keep warm. I loved her. I loved her dead. I loved her dearly. And then somebody wrote on my thing and said, you don't have enough wood there. 
<laughs> so true, so true, so true. But listen, some of you have fallen in love with creation. Some of you may be addicted to a man or addicted to a woman, to sex, to the beach, to celebrities, to alcohol, drugs, relationship, things, cars, houses, your time, me, myself, and I, that's what you're about. All creation, and have ignored or cast out the Creator. Set him aside. This is what addiction looks like. Ladies, that's why some of you dress the way you dress. You are sucked up into the culture of our world that keeps saying you are sexual. When God called you to be a daughter, God calls us to be daughters. He called all of us to be his child. Even guys, we are there too, guys. Don't make no mistake about The average age, listen, when men begin to be addicted to porn, get this, when they're first exposed to it, in fact, children is eight years old. Eight years old. Porn is like a $380 billion a year business worldwide, globally. It's horrible. It's an addiction. Guys, we look away from the ladies who dress appropriately, and we look to the ladies who feed our addictions. And we've got to be careful with that. We've got to not do that. This is where we live in our culture. I see some of our Facebook pages and Instagram. I see some of your Facebook Instagram pages. And your site says, you're all about Jesus, but sometimes the pictures and posts say, no, you're not. You're all about yourself drawing sexual attention to yourself. It's me, myself, and I. You say you worship Jesus and wrap his name around whatever your idol is, but it doesn't mean you're about Jesus or you're right with God. Verse 19 says, Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and when they had won over the crowds and stoned Paul, they dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. My previous statements there, I just want to let that kind of just settle in your spirit and heart. I can't get off of thinking about it. Think about what you're portraying. Think about the things you're posting. That's the new thumbprint, by the way. When you post it, you can never get rid of it. Just so you all know that. It's important to know that. So the Jews came from Antioch, Iconium. I want you to notice something about this verse in 19. Notice some Jews walked 100 miles to cause trouble for Paul and Barnabas. They walked 100 miles to create havoc in Lystra with Paul and Barnabas. Isn't it amazing how passionate unbelievers can be? Listen, atheists will fight their whole life fighting something that they believe doesn't exist. Think about that for a minute. Why are people so focused on eliminating God rather than say, than say the Easter Bunny or Santa Claus? Why are they so focused on eliminating God rather than say eliminating the Easter Bunny or Santa Claus? I want you to think about that for a minute. Why? This is why they're so, they're so listen, uh, focused on eliminating God. Because, listen, because the Easter Bunny or Santa Claus doesn't teach you how to live. They never teach you how to live. 
Jesus teaches you how to live. His word teaches you how to live. You will not tell me what to do with my body. That's what happens. And in the depths of our hearts, you know what sin is. We say, God, you will not, you cannot tell me how I'm going to live. But as Christians, we must say, Lord, it's not my body. It's yours. Because you purchased it when you shed your blood on the cross. He bought us. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 talks about you are not your own. You were bought with the price. The price was Jesus' blood. You no longer belong to yourself. And we need to let that sink into our hearts. But as Christians, we must say, Lord, it's not my body. It's amazing, too, how fickle we are. Think about it. I think about football. You have a team. It's your favorite team. Roll Tide! Right? But if they have a losing season, what happens? Oh, man, that game stunk. What happened to them? They're not my team anymore. I'm going to go somewhere else. And sometimes we switch. I've known people to switch. You ever see people that are further, always the winning team? Or they go after the underdog. Oh, I like underdogs. I like them when they come on top. We're so fickle. We're so quick at changing our minds. Something to think about. These people hailed Paul and Barnabas as gods. But turn around the very next day, and what did they want to do? They wanted to kill them. So fickle, we change on the dime. Sometimes it happens at church. We get mad at church, and we'll leave. And we just take off. It makes me try to question, why were you there to begin with? Did God lead you there, or did you lead you there? God, we must have let God control our heart, our life, our mind, our thoughts, our actions, our desires. That's what he's there for, to lead you down the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And we need to think about some of these things before we make decisions to do things without ever talking to God about it. They went from being idolized to being demonized in one argument. Why? Because they did not fit into their understanding of what God was supposed to be. They threw rocks at them, so many that they thought they had killed Paul. Personally, I think they killed Paul. I think Jesus rose him from the dead. I look at Corinthians, St. Corinthians, Corinthians, where he talks about he knew a man, and he's talking to a third person being caught up into the third heaven. It could have been right during that time that it happened. He could have been stoned, he was dead, and God rose him back because God had a work to finish with him. I don't know. But he was near dead if you were stoned. Has anybody been stoned in here before? Anybody? Okay, me neither. I don't know what that's like. I don't really want to know what it's like either. Look at verse 20. After this disciple surrounded him, he got up and went into town. The next day, he left with Barnabas for Derby. Paul gets up, dusts himself off, goes back into town to preach the gospel where he was stoned. Why? Because we all worship a living God. We worship a living God. So I have another question for you. Why is it so hard to accept God for who he is? Why is it so hard to accept God for who he is? Answer, because everyone has an image of God in your own head. All of us here have an image of God 
of what we think God is in our own head. The atheist has his own picture of God, and he draws a circle around it, and he says, he doesn't exist. That's what he does. A teacher told her class to draw any picture they wanted. A little girl in class was drawing the picture that was very bizarre, and the teacher asked her what she was drawing. She said she was drawing God. The teacher said to the little girl that no one has ever seen God, and that no one knows what he looks like. To which the little girl responded, well, they will after they see my picture. (laughs) But listen, some of you have the wrong view or image of who God is or what he looks like or what he is to you. It's easy to have the wrong view or image of God. It's easy. Why? Because it will be wrong. Whatever image you have is going to be wrong. It's going to be woefully deficient. Think about it. The Bible says, Leviticus 19.4, Do not turn to idols or make or cast images of gods for yourselves. I am Yahweh, your God. God says, I cannot dwell in a building made with human hands. God says, I put my foot on the earth. The earth is my footstool for him. Listen, the heaven declares the glory of God. So I want you to listen. We can and do develop images of God based on three things, and I want you to write these down. Number one is how you were raised. Think about how you were raised. Parents are very influential. In fact, statistically speaking, parents, listen, are the number one influence in the life of their children, whether good or bad. They're the number one influence. And some of them break my heart because I see what they're doing. And they're teaching their kids how to do what they do. You see it all the time. Some, some parents are very good and some parents are terrible. Some of you had a terrible dad. Therefore, it's hard for you to pray to God as Father. Think about that. It's hard for you to imagine that a father can be good. For women, it's hard to trust men because of what you have conceptualized in your mind to think of God as Father. It's hard. But that's exactly how God reveals himself, as a good, good father. We sing the song, good, good father. He is a good father. He is the greatest father. He is the father of all fathers, above fathers, to infinity and beyond. That's how, and he's a safe man. He's safe. Ladies, he's safe. Someone who can be trusted, who can protect you. But our view of God can sometimes mess us up. Sometimes it's how we were raised. Sometimes, number two, is things we have heard. Things we have heard. Everybody has an idea of who God is, sort of like a collective soup, right? We get all the ingredients and we just throw it all together, hodgepodge. This is like the American God that we serve. It's kind of like a hodgepodge, a little everything. And we all have different thoughts about what God is by what we've heard. I'll prove it. I'm going to prove it to you right now. I'm going to start a sentence, and you guys will complete it. Y'all ready? God helps those who... Hmm. So why do you know that? You've heard it. Right. You memorize a verse that doesn't exist in the Bible. Right? 
It doesn't even exist. You've heard it over and over and over since you were a little person coming up to be an adult. Listen, you heard it over and over and over. The Bible says that God helps who? Who does God help? Everybody. He doesn't just help those who help. He helps everybody. I don't care if you're a good person or you're a lousy person. He even helps the bad people. He helps them. He helps them. If we have life or breath, it's all because of God. It's not because of anything else. God helps us all. And God is trying to help you right now. Every one of you in this room, he's trying to help you right now. God loves everybody. The good, the bad, and the ugly. He helps everyone, saved or lost. It rains on what? The just and the unjust. He treats everybody alike. He never changes. He's the same. He's immutable. He never changes. His love for you never diminishes. I don't care what you've done, what you think you've done that's so terrible. His love never changes for you. He loves you. He blesses and loves us all. He's an awesome God that we serve. But here is a sinister motivation. I can develop images of God based on number three, how I want God to be. How I want God to be. If you think you are worshiping a God of who you think he should be, you are not worshiping God, but who? Yourself. Me, myself, and I. Do you understand how dangerous that is? Well, I think God is, question mark. What does that make you if you are the author of who God is? What does that make you? It makes you your own God. You must ask yourself, are you in God's story or is he in yours? This is very pointed. It's it's very telling. Come on, who's writing the story? Many people think they are writing the story when God is really writing the story. Listen, we are characters in his story. He is not a character in our story. We are part of his existence. He is not part of our existence. He does not exist because we created him in our minds, but he exists because we are created in his mind, in his image, in his likeness. He designed us. We have flipped this all around. Why? Because we worship ourselves rather than worship the God of the Bible. This is why we tell ourselves that God would not give me desires he did not want me to act on. We'll tell ourselves this. We'll rationalize it. Or God would never create me this way if he did not want me to act on those desires. Or God would not give me those passions if I was not supposed to use them or act on them. This is I know better than God about what I am supposed to do. So, so dangerous when we think we know better than God. In fact, the saddest verse in the Bible is the last one in the book of Judges. And it's that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And when I think about everyone did what was right in their own eyes, that's a sad verse. Listen, look at our culture today. And I'm going to talk just a little bit briefly about that, of a study that was done at the University of North Carolina, and it was very pointed, very good study for us to understand our culture a little bit better. But when you look back to Moses, and this is where it all starts, 
Moses, he, he was mentoring somebody. Remember who he was mentoring? Who, who, did, who did Moses mentor? Joshua. When you look through Exodus and you look at the different times when Moses is up on the mountain holding his hands up, the book Bible says that Joshua was standing there observing everything that was going on. In the temple, around the temple, whatever was going on, you'll see Joshua kind of in the wings, watching, observing Moses, his mentor, teaching him how to lead. All sudden, fast forward to the book of Joshua. Moses passes away, right? Who takes charge? Joshua, right? Joshua takes charge. When you look through the book of Joshua, I want you to look. Who did Joshua mentor? You don't see any one person being mentored by Joshua. What book is after that? The book of Judges. That's the train wreck for the nation of Israel. Because no one had mentored. Listen, Joshua never mentored anybody. And then you had all these judges. Think about that. It's important for us to pour ourselves what God has given us and to, and to lay it into the hearts and the lives of other people around us, to mentor others. Our culture is this, you just do what feels right. Look at Romans 1, 21-23. For though they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense, and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. They made idols, called them gods. Some of you have foolish ideas of what God is like. Some of you think God is like a genie in a bottle and you can rub the lamp and he comes to you. He answers your request. Literally, some of you only call out to God when you need him. Save me. Save me, Lord. The study I was talking about was it's called Moralistic Therapeutic Deism. You ever heard of that? <laughs> I want to describe... Moralistic therapeutic deism was a study that was done at the University of North Carolina on our youth culture. And they actually talked to about 3,000 young adolescents and they asked them certain specific questions. And uh, they came consist of beliefs, and these are the beliefs that they came across. It's called moralistic therapeutic deism. You'll see it. Number one, a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Number two, our adolescents believe God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by uh, most world religions. There's your moralistic part of it. Number three, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. There's the therapeutic. See it? And number four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life, except when God is needed to resolve a problem. That's called deism. Deism. A belief in God, but they believe that God does not ever enter or is involved into the affairs 
of the world or people's lives. He's out here somewhere just kind of watching it unfold. And number five, good people go to heaven when they die. That is the sum. It is the creed to which much adolescent faith can be reduced. After conducting more than 3,000 interviews with American adolescents, the researchers reported that when it, come, when it came to the most crucial questions of faith and beliefs, many adolescents responded with a shrug and whatever. And as a result, Romans 1.28, and because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a worthless mind. Or some translate say a reprobate mind, which is a worthless mind. To do what is morally wrong. Their minds became dark and confused. So I have a question. You want to know what God is like? Who wants to know what God is like? Anyone want to know what God is like? The answer is only Jesus is the exact image of God. Jesus is the exact image of God. Someone asked a college student what God was like. To his response, he responded, it would be so helpful if God would just take a selfie. If God would just take a selfie, has to take a picture with your phone. Hello. It would be so helpful. But he did. Jesus did. God did, and his name is Jesus. In Colossians 1.15, listen to what it says. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. That's our Jesus. Jesus makes the unseeable seeable. Jesus makes the unknowable knowable. Jesus makes the untouchable touchable. And Jesus makes the invisible visible. Colossians 1.19, For God has pleased, was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, Jesus. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, long ago God spoke to the fathers of the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, it says that he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, interceding for you and for me right this very second. Isn't that awesome? I love it. So what's God like? He's Jesus. How do I get to know God? Know Jesus. If you know Jesus, you'll know God. He said, I'm the father of what? One. How do I experience God? Invite Jesus into your heart. Jesus Christ is God and he reveals God fully to us. So what's the problem? What's the problem? Why do we have so many religions, so many isms in the world today? This is why. 2 Corinthians 4, 3-4 says, But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age, Satan, has blinded their minds of the unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. How is it possible that men and women of Lystra could see the miracle that Paul and Barnabas did on one hand, and then in the other hand had rocks to throw to murder them the next? 
because they were blinded. Listen, faith isn't just the absence of belief in God. Faith is not the absence of belief and faith in God. But it is the presence of the prince of darkness in your life. Never forget that, church. It's scary. A lack of faith is not just the absence of belief, but is the presence of spiritual darkness. Verse 4 said, The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He puts blinders on people. You walk around society, you go to Walmart, wherever, you can talk to people all day long about Jesus. Sometimes it's like it's just not there. They just don't see it. The blinders are on. They don't see it. That's why prayer is so important. We've got to pray. We've got to pray as God leads us. You've got to pray before you open your mouth. You need to pray before you say the first word. Get underneath the power of Jesus in your life and let God lead you and say what needs to be said. That their eyes, and pray for their eyes to be unblinded so they would see the truth. Paul was so bad when he was Saul that God actually blinded him so that he could see inside his heart and his mind. Listen, we are just not in a debate on stage with words. We're not. We are in a battle for eternal salvation of people's souls. And it is only the light of Christ that can open their eyes. It's only that. Christianity is not only not the only religion that can do good. We've got to be honest about this. It's not the only religion that can do good for people. You know, there are many religions that can help you. The Mormons will help you. Hindus. In fact, in Islam can give you some kind of purpose. Albeit the wrong. All religions may help you, but only Jesus can save you. Only Jesus can save you. Only Christianity can save you. Only. That's the difference. Christianity cannot make you better. It will save you if you will let him. God wants to imprint his image on you and me. Why are you insecure? You ladies never feel beautiful. Men, you never feel manly. Listen, why? In Genesis 3, sin going from perfect to broken. When, we commit, when sin was committed in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, you went from a perfect environment to a completely broken environment. Which is why Jesus had to step in. Sin has separated us from God, from each other, and from the real you. Think about that. From the real you. God didn't design you to be without him. Only Jesus can restore you back to him. And only Jesus can restore you back to yourself. And only Jesus can restore you back to others. And only Jesus can restore you back to perfection, living according to his original design. That's true purity in its purest form when you live according to original design. Romans 8, 28, 29, we know that all things work together for good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. God will take suffering in your life to work for good. It doesn't mean that he causes suffering. 
but he will take that suffering you're going through and work it together for good if you let him. Why? Verse 29, to conform us to the image of who? Of Jesus. You know, folks, it doesn't matter what you do in life as much as it matters who you are or whose you are in Christ. In Christ! God's not interested in what you do as much as who you are. Become like Jesus. It's his will for all of your life. Many of us want to be saved, but we want to stay ourselves. We want to experience the miracles of God, but we're not ready to receive the message of God. And we've got to receive the message of God before we can experience the miracle of God. And salvation is a tremendous miracle. It is the best of all miracles, in my opinion. But we're not ready to receive the message. Blessings, but not the burden of God. You can follow Jesus, there are going to be burdens. We will suffer for his name if we follow him. But listen, it's worth it. I can tell you right now, it's worth it. It's worth it. You know, I didn't get saved when I was 27. And before I got saved, man, I was lost as a goose flying wherever he was flying, east and west instead of north and south. I don't know. But listen, I lived a very self-centered, destructive life. I did whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, however I wanted. I went, went and did everything I wanted to do, what, I, what felt good, what I desired to do, I would do it. I lived for me, myself, and I. While I was married, while I had kids, I'd come home from a deployment or something, I'd come home and I'd still check out when I got home. That's what I did. Because I was living for me, myself, and I. I wasn't living for God. I wasn't thinking about God. I wasn't thinking about Jesus. But there was a time when I started thinking about Jesus. And it's when I was 27. And I started thinking about Jesus. And I started reading about Jesus. I started getting an understanding about who Jesus was and why he came to earth. And then I surrendered my life. On a mission trip in Sicily, I laid out, stretched out on my hotel room floor on my face. And I poured my soul out to Jesus. I said before, it's amazing. Next day, probably wondering what that big wet spot was up on the. They probably said some drunken military guy, just whatever, on the floor. <laughs> my tears were on the floor. And when I got up, I knew Jesus had changed my life. Just by simply asking, I knew what I needed. I knew I needed to ask him into my heart, my life, to transform my life. And when I asked him, it was immediate. It didn't make me perfect. I was perfectly saved, but I was still an imperfect individual. And we all are. I still am. And I'm still marching through. I'm still trying to listen to God. I'm still, I'm still uh, shucking those things on the onion, you know, and throwing them away. I'm still doing that. I'm still, well, along with you, we're all doing that together. Oh, we're still doing it. All of us are still doing that. We're not going to be completely done until he takes us home and we see him face to face. That's when it's going to be done. Amen? So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask each and every one of you today, what is your view of God? What is your image of God? Is your image Jesus? Is Jesus the image that you have? Do you see a perfect Savior? Do you see a perfect Son of God who took his perfect blood and took 
all of your sin on his body. 2,000 years ago, he laid his life down voluntarily on the cross. Yeah, he was arrested, this and that, but listen, he could have called 10,000 legions of angels to come and rescue him from that cross. And you know what he did? He voluntarily laid his life down. They pierced his hands, they pierced his feet, they pierced his side, the blood flowed, washes away all of our sins. Everything you've ever done in the past, everything you're gonna to do today, and everything you're going to do tomorrow. Do you know Jesus is your Savior? Don't leave here without trusting Him as your Savior. Just say a simple prayer. I can't pray a prayer to save you. You have to talk to God within yourself. Say, Jesus, I heard your message today. And Jesus, I know you're squeezing my heart. Jesus, I know my life has been rotten. And Lord, I don't know what to do about it. But I'm going to trust you by the faith that I have to know that you died on the cross for my sins. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin this morning in this place. Start my life brand new, Lord, this morning. Reunite me with my Creator, God. Come into my heart, Jesus. Wash me and make me clean and purified right now. I ask you to do that in my heart and life right now. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into my heart. I give you my whole life, my tax, title, license, everything. I give it to you, Jesus, this morning. All of it to you. Shape me, make me, mold me into your image, Jesus, which I know is your desire for me. And help me, Jesus. Lead me, lead my life from this moment forward. I ask you to do that for me, Jesus, this morning. I thank you, Jesus doing that for me this morning in Jesus name now if you with every head bowed and everybody closed if you prayed to receive Christ as Savior listen no one's looking around no one's pointing you out this preacher ain't gonna point you out I just want to know how I can pray for you and I want to encourage you so if you pray to receive Christ as Savior man would you just let me know just lift your hand up I'll see it lift your hand up amen 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 anybody else 